1: Today on the Zapecast, Damian Lillard, you sir are ridiculous. Coach K is hanging up the old bottle of hair dye, but not until after the season. Farewell booing tour, anyone? Old Fauci is having himself a really bad week, and it's probably gonna get worse. Feedback, follow-up, and Andy Poli. Your bonus uncensored, live from the beach. Extra bonus me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go!
2: This is huge, Jim.
1: Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. Thank you for downloading. My goodness, do we have a show today. It's free today. You might have noticed that, and I'm sure you did. Thursdays had been the old subscriber day. Tomorrow is going to cost you $5. But you get the other three Fridays for the month thrown in. And if you buy a whole year's worth of Fridays... I'll give you one month for free. It's very big of you. I know it is. Thank you very much. Go to zabe.com slash subscribe or com slash premium, I want to say, and become a true one percenter, not a dirty, dirty freeloader. I mean, come on. Who would do that, by the way? I asked the question on the Capital Golf Gang, which will appear in its own podcast channel or vertical. Search for Capital Golf Gang. You'll see it there. I asked the fellas, I said, so if I hit other guys' range balls at a course like Curatuck Club here at the Outer Banks, in which I'm not playing a round of golf, I've paid no money to the facility, and yet I poach guys who are, okay, let me hit a couple balls, all right, I'm done, I'm off to the first tee, and I'm like, ooh, half a bucket. I don't mind, I don't mind if I do. I'll eat that. I asked them, I said, is that stealing? Is that effectively stealing range time? They said no. They said, no, who cares? doesn't matter. And I said oh, I feel like I owe the course 7 bucks for a lar- a small bag or or a or a medium or a large bag. How about they sell the bags? Look, uh, they're not going to go broke either way. I didn't hard- I took about maybe a cubic yard- no, not a yard. I-, I took about a square yard no, a square foot of divots really. I was pretty judicious in my divot tree. Okay, before we get to Andy Paulin and Damian Lillard's insane bonkers night let me get some feedback first and foremost i was wrong (laughs) i was wrong when it came to grizzly bears and brown bears apparently and i didn't look this up myself but i took it from at least two or three of you who bothered to email to say you know zabe grizzly bears are brown bears they're the same species they're just called different things okay okay All right. Anyway, uh, it was a hell of a video and a hell of a thing that happened. This one from Justin Benner. He writes, Zabe, don't want to take up much of your time. Don't worry. But listening to the Zabe cast yesterday, I thought I'd throw you this quick YouTube video. Hopefully you get a good laugh because five bucks a month and a five minute stand up clip doesn't seem like enough repayment for all the hours of listening pleasure you've given me since I discovered you in twenty fifteen. Seriously, the you're the best thing going in sports talk slash real talk radio. Ooh, I like that. I might have to steal that. Real talk. No bullshit. Real talk. Here's how the world really works. Add my vote to the group that loves all of your non-professional guests and the varied perspective and spe- perspectives and specialized insight that they bring. Do not ever stop. Well, can't stop, won't stop. Uh, Justin says, I'm a proud Penn Stater who would love to help anything with. should you decide to go to a football game this year since they announced 100% of capacity for the upcoming season. Sincerely, unwashed, filthy Flyers and Phillies fan who accidentally texted you a picture of a catfish that one time. Thank you, Justin Benner. Uh, thank you for that. So when it comes to, here we go. Let me get, oh boy, see, okay, hold on a second. Live radio here. It's not live yet. It's not live yet. Time to set this up. I know, I just screwed up here. Let me get this cable plugged in here. Uh, thank you very much. I'm, you know, I can you tell I'm rushing to finish so I can make it to dinner on time here at the house? What a jam-packed day. I did. I did nothing today, basically. No, not nothing. I recorded a golf show. I took a nap. I was on a conference call with a client. Eh, that's about it now i'm doing the podcast and i want to get it done so i can watch sixers wizards tonight uninterrupted so here's the uh, video clip or the uh, the the stand-up clip by by comedian shane torres regarding one guy fieri
3: um this may be somewhat of a controversial opinion but can someone please explain to me what the fuck Guy Fieri ever did to anyone? Because people shit on that dude all the time and as far as I can tell all he ever did was follow his dreams. It's fucking insane how rude people are to this celebrity chef. (laughs) They make memes and they tweet nasty shit and they have terrible blogs, and he didn't do anything wrong. Here's what he did do, liberal Madison. He started a company where he hires everybody. He pays more than minimum wage. He gives health benefits before he has to. He has a nonprofit where he gives pretzel making machines to inner city schools so they can fundraise. I know that one sounds like I made it up, but I swear to Christ, (laughs) it's true. He has worked with Special Olympics athletes and on top of all of that, he has officiated a gay wedding. But because he has flames on his shirt, everybody shits all over him like he's a member of Nickelback. <laughs> and by the way, what the fuck did Nickelback ever do?
1: Very funny. Once again, uh, you can look it up. Shane Torres, the comedian. I had no idea there was this much Guy Fieri hatred out there, but glad to know there is also Guy Fieri defenders out there. I'd like to think I'm fairly neutral. I find him enjoyable, and what's not to like? Email zabe at yahoo.com anytime you like. Davis Rose... Rose Rose Kynes, Rose Kynes. I want to say Rosakins, the way it looks. It's at Ros Davis, I believe. He's got the line over the A. Dear Steed, thank you. Home court advantage evaporated in last year. Oh, they had, the subject to email is not all nature has healed in sports. Home court advantage evaporated, of course, last year in the NBA playoffs in the bubble. Understandable. Now the teams are back at home, one would expect some sort of home court edge. Not yet. Through the first 32 playoff games so far, home teams are now, wait for it, wait, 16 and 16. From the 1983-84 season all the way to the pandemic, the home playoff team had won previously 65% of the time. Wow. Wow. Looking at the slightly more robust sample size in point differential, the same pattern holds. Usually home teams win playoff games by four to five points, but the average is down to just point nine points per game, even lower than the bubble playoffs when it was a full point. Respectfully submitted Davis Rosakins. Ros Roskines. Roskines, Davis Rosekines. Thank you, Davis. I appreciate that. Joby Turner writes to say, Steed, Vegas report is the headline. According to Clark County, Vegas is, quote, 100% open with no restrictions. We came here hoping for a near 100% standard, and what we have found is far from it. All casino employees are masked to the hilt with 10% capacity it shows many of those employees are double masked masked or visor masked worse yet are the visitors who are also masked and have their very young children masked blue states and politicians simply broke people's brains vegas at 100% quote unquote was arkansas last april or colorado at the height of the lockdown this place is probably ruined forever I don't know about that but okay but don't worry pot is legal here so that brings a very calm and fun clientele to the tables sarcasm dripping your listener should stay away he says go to Florida Texas or Colorado Vegas is still lockdown city at 100% quote-unquote open love the show Joe Joby Turner it's unfortunate. He's not wrong. What is Vegas? What is the essence of Vegas? It is freewheeling, wide open. Time is an abstraction, a mere suggestion of what, where you should be and what you should be doing. But that's it. And it's just people watching. You don't want to watch people in masks, not even the dealers, not even the wicked Mariano Rivera type dealers that run blackjack and they throw you seven card 21s to backdoor you out of a big bet. And you're like, son of a bitch. You you want to see them without a mask? You want to have some friendly back and forth with the cool dealers? You don't want them in masks. So it's not 100% back. That is noted. All right, let's get to my man, Andy poli to see what's shaking tonight hello hello andy Poland. how we doing tonight oh we're terrific how are you doing good we got a lot of good actionable stories here in the world of sports to get to so let's go ahead and dig right in first and foremost coach k I don't know if he announced it today. I haven't read thoroughly on this. I just heard. I heard that he is retiring after the end of the season. That may be a report, or has he come out and said, yes, that's my plan?
4: I haven't seen any quotes from him. This is just still in the sources part, Um, but, yes, that he is going to retire and that John Shire, yeah, has agreed to become the next head coach so there'll be this handoff I guess during the season if it happens I, I'm not totally convinced that Krzyzewski's going to retire
1: what do you make of the people that say so let's see Roy Williams retires after the season in a bit of a surprise move mm-hmm. K retire K lets it slip out that this will be it just so he can get the farewell tour and you know, all the media gushing over his illustrious career, which by the way, it's a phenomenal career. It's the greatest in the post John Wooden era. But still it's a bit douchey, don't you think?
4: <laughs> well no? I, I know you you've always felt this this way about him. It it could be <laughs> that he wants to convince the recruits, hey, this is my hand picked guy, John Shire in okay. the national championship team. So you'll know me, you'll get to know him. It's it's Maybe it's a move for the parents. I don't know. But I think it's also hedging into retirement. I, I Didn't Jim Beheim a few years ago say that's it for me or gave a year that he was going to leave and he's still there? He's still there.
1: Yeah, yeah
4: not giving any indication he's going to leave. So I could see – Krzyzewski, you know getting to the middle of next season and saying you know i'm not really ready to go i'm, I'm gonna hang on for a while
1: wow depends if he has a good year or not this year was yeah. an awful no good terrible year by coach k and duke standards to say the least it was
4: yep no question yep.
1: all right so uh that said uh what about brad stevens brad stevens steps down as coach of the celtics takes over as team president ainge is finally out And one could argue, hey, you know, if they didn't have the injury to, uh, uh, not Tatum, but um, uh, the other stud forward they have, they would have had a better chance against a Brooklyn team that has simply come together at just the right moment.
4: Yeah, uh, that and then Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown. And then, of course, all of a sudden he's he's burned out from the bubble from last year Uh, that Didn't really make a lot of sense. Right. Um. He's forty-four years old now. He he did turn down a reported ten million dollars a year to go to Indiana. Um, Right. That that he may have known that this was in the works, or he saw himself. Geez, I'm burned out on coaching, and now I'm going to have to recruit two with a bunch of crazed Indiana fans thinking I'm going to be you know Bobby Knight producing three national championships. So that may have had something to do with it.
1: But, uh, yeah, it is,
4: it is a strange move. And at 44, you know, you can give this GM thing a whirl for a while. And if he wants to coach, he can coach down the line.
1: Oh, he has so many years mm-hmm. of insanely high earning in basketball, whether it's pro or college, coaching or in the front office for this detour. Like, as long as he can keep it together. He's so young, you know, and he's yeah. very good he's very good but the nba has limitations in what you can do as a coach you still need the horses at the end of the day oh yeah
4: yeah and that so now you know maybe this is a bill parcells shop for the groceries so i can cook the meal like once he gets the talent that he wants
1: (laughs) he'll tell the coach step aside
4: (laughs) and you know what there's there's precedent for this his name's greg popovich that once he had tim duncan He was uh, now in charge as the coach as well. He said to the uh, – it was Bob Hill.
1: Oh, is that – okay, I forgot about that. So Pop went upstairs and then came back once he had the team. Well,
4: (laughs) I don't even know if he was the coach prior to becoming the GM of the Spurs. He was never a
1: coach? i got to look up his biography right now.
4: I don't don't think. I think he coached under Larry Brown as an assistant and uh, then moved into the Spurs front office. And once they had Duncan and uh, you know David Robinson back, he said, uh, "You yeah, know this looks good. I'll I'll take it from here."
1: You know, everyone thought that that was going to happen to Spolstra in Miami with Pat yeah. Riley after right. the first year with you know LeBron didn't go so well. It was like he's going to say, "All right, move over, kid. I got it from here."
4: Right, right, and 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 many thought that LeBron was going to force that move. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, get, get me the big guy. This this little picture you got out of the phone out of the film room. Yeah, I would like the guy with the slick back hair,
1: please. Popovich, Air Force assistant, 73 Mm -hmm. to 79. Then Pomona Pitzer, Kansas assistant. Back to Pomona Pitzer for a year. Spurs Mm -hmm. assistant from 88 to 92. Warriors assistant for two years from 92 to 94. And then two years in the front office. And then 1996, boom, head coach Mm -hmm. San Antonio Spurs.
4: Yeah, so could you see Brad Stevens doing the same thing in Boston?
1: Yeah, probably. I, I know this when I talk to my Indiana fans and my friends. They they're probably going to be distraught because, like you said, they wanted him so bad at Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I would think but- that if he was if he was going to step down as coach, but stay upstairs just to make draft picks and and you know sign ten day contracts, fuck that! Come here to Indiana, restore the shine to our program, please.
4: Yeah, but you got to understand that the expectations would be through the roof and they've had some some good coaches there. You know, Archie mm-hmm. Miller was a good coach at Dayton, but you know, Indiana is is not Indiana 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's different.
1: Yeah, we'll see about that. Meanwhile, LeBron James is once again doing what LeBron does when things mm-hmm. aren't going his way. The mm-hmm. Lakers get turned inside out by the Suns on Tuesday night. No Anthony Davis, who is being mocked openly by Charles Barkley as quote, street clothes. <laughs> and uh, LeBron James can't do it all himself. I'm sure he's not feeling super spry himself. And so he walks off the court with five minutes to go and disappears into the locker room. What yeah. is it with this guy and that move?
4: And what what and, and and why is that not a bigger story? You know why if if this when Randy Moss walked off the field with like a
1: second, to go, yeah, with seven that, seconds.
4: Yeah, that was that was a major deal. Five minutes left. Yeah, I mean he gets he gets star treatment. He goes out and he has a vodka party with his friends. And oh, it's okay because eighty five percent of the team was vaccinated. And and Porzingis has a few drinks with the boys and.
1: He gets clipped, yeah. Well, yeah. you you say why isn't isn't it a bigger deal? I don't know if it's a big deal or not. I would assume they talked about it today on the talking head shows on Around right. the Horn, PTI, Get Up, mm-hmm. Facts versus Volume, Did Two, <laughs> Did Not, all those fun yelling shows on ESPN. You sure they didn't pound this story into the ground?
4: Well, it got got swallowed up by the two big ones we just talked about with Shostakovsky and uh, Brad Stevens.
1: I guess so. Yeah. Then then there was the Damian Lillard performance last night. Yeah. So let me just recap for people how I experienced this thing. I'm here at the Beach House, which does not have NBA TV. No shock there, right? right. But it's got TNT, so I'm watching the Lakers get drilled. And they're cutting away to highlights and updates. Like, oh, you're not going to believe this. Dame Lillard again for three to send it in a double overtime. I'm like, wow. This is a hell of a game. First of all, people said, why didn't they just switch the games?
4: Yeah. I don't know if they have the right to do that. It's an NBA TV game. I
1: guess so. But it was, yeah. you know, so so I'm catching little snippets of it, and it's getting later and later and later. And for some reason, I said, you know, I'm just going to stay up late. I want to see what Inside the NBA has to say. I want to see the highlight package for Damian Lillard and what kind of night he had. And then they said, they opened it they saying, you know, he broke the NBA record for threes in a, in a playoff game with 12. And my first thought, Andy, was, yeah, he probably threw up 30 of them. Nope. The fact that he was 12 of 17 from three-point range and 17 of 24 from the field is fucking bonkers. Like, (laughs) for a guard to shoot that well and and the step-back threes, uh, his teammate, CJ McCollum, put it best. He said, the degree of difficulty on which he hit some of those threes is Godlike, and he's yeah. not exaggerating. It was one of the greatest playoff performances that I can think of. And, of course, they lost, prompting someone on Twitter to say to me, yeah, but how good could it be? They lost the game. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I said, bless your heart, sir. Just watch the sports games and enjoy. I can't help you. If, if you think that's a smart take, I can't help you. Part
4: of it is uh, who they are as a team and who they're playing. The Michael Jordan sixty-three point, sixty-two point performance against the Celtics yeah. in overtime, where yeah. Larry Bird declared he's disguised as it's God, disguised as Michael Jordan. Right. That still resonates today, and I think it's because of who he did it against. He did it against Larry Bird and and McHale and Harrison right. and those guys. And not and,
1: on NBA TV, which is in, like, 38 households nationwide.
4: Yeah, and, and let me just throw in my, my old guy this year. I believe that was on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon where yeah. more people could see it and can talk about it. And I'm sorry, West Coast games that start at 10 o'clock, they just don't work for me.
1: Damian Lillard now has career has three career game tying or go-ahead threes inside the final five seconds in the fourth quarter overtime, tying Reggie Miller for the, most over, for the most over the past 25 years. He's also the first player in the past 25 years with multiple game tying threes in the last 10 seconds of the fourth quarter or overtime of a playoff game. He's got two career playoff games with at least 10 threes. The rest of the NBA has one playoff game. That would be uh, Thompson.
4: Yeah, and he, he's made no noise about getting out of Portland, right? No, he, he seems, no, to, he
1: he to, seems to he seems yeah. to like it. I mean, you know, Portland has loved their team for years, as you know, going back to Walton and company and then the, you know, Drexler teams that were good and the ones that got to the finals against Jordan. But, mm-hmm. man, he's Damian Lillard is buried out there for the rest of the country for the most part.
4: Yeah, but he, it, it doesn't seem to be a problem for him Yeah, because, you know, and, and I guess he wants to go down and lead them to a championship, but it's going to be tough. I don't know how, how you get enough players there to do that.
1: All right, Wizards, tonight we're about mm-hmm. an hour away. I'm actually sort of pseudo excited to see how this goes. I guess Joel Embiid's not playing tonight?
4: Yeah, he's definitely out, and uh, he's got a, what they say is a slightly torn meniscus.
1: Ooh. which Ooh, slightly they, torn.
4: Yeah, I don't I, see how I call plays. that I mean,
1: torn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, Is it and, torn at all? Yes. Then it's torn, yeah. slightly.
4: I, I, I think they can get past the Wizards, but, you know, the, all those who penciled them in for the finals, that, that look good now, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this Bucks nets series might be the real NBA finals when it's all yeah. said and done with LeBron and the Lakers possibly crapping out out west.
4: Yeah, and and the Nets are going to win the NBA championship. And everybody in New York is going to yawn. <laughs> I think I think this Knicks game was it three or four tonight is a bigger deal. Game Game Four, Game Five. I'm right, sorry. right. Yeah, can you ex-
1: can you explain that as a guy who worked in the New York market? Yeah. Why, yeah. Why basically neither the Mets nor the Nets well, ever ever got the same kind of traction as the pedigreed teams in town.
4: Well, the, the Mets did. The Mets did to to a degree. I mean, I started working at WFAN the year after the Mets won the championship, and it, it was a big deal with the Mets, and, and still pretty much is. The Nets used to play at the Brendan Byrne Arena, and you could have Michael Jordan there playing in his prime with 20,000 people in the seats, and it sounded like a library. It just was not an arena that was conducive for excitement and the Nets in New Jersey were always the redheaded stepchild and the Knicks had the heritage. Now, you know, when I was there in the eighties, it had been almost 20 years since the Knicks had won a championship and still people clung to those Willis Reed and Walt Frazier days and, you know, how that team was so romantic and, and the uh, and Garden always sold out. You know, Garden is right downtown, so you'd see the crowd, most guys in suits coming right from work. It's just a totally different thing. And, and the Knicks, of, at least when I was there, was, and, and probably to the stage, right. still a much bigger deal. I mean, the Nets made the finals two years in the early part of this century.
1: It was a gone? But, but the Brooklyn Nets have been rebranded to be the hip new thing. Brooklyn, as one of the boroughs, is hot and up-and-coming and trendy right yeah right brooklyn still, used to be used to be the hood It used to be very dangerous now it's yeah. where young urban professionals live and they got this beautiful new arena they've got a f- hell of a team they've got cool uniforms i mean the whole thing works for me but it doesn't seem to be translating yet in terms of fan yeah. attention
4: doesn't have the bright lights in manhattan
1: i guess it, not you, right you're, you're still off broadway right yeah, you're not on broadway on. you're off yeah. broadway
4: Exactly well, yeah. if
1: they do win, I mean they really have become this spectacular hated team. Oh yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think who else would the Raiders of the early 80s be in that category of well, super hated teams in America? Hated,
4: the Pistons, hated bad boy Pistons but the Pistons maybe I don't know if the Pistons were necessary, maybe closer to the Pistons, but they're not they're not that. they're not slamming people to the floor. What they are, and, and why people hate them, is the three, the big three. The three divas. Take yeah, they, they turn, take turns t- taking off. I know. Kyrie Irving needed, you had a 72-game season, he needed 20 personal days. I know. He, he, you, know, if personal you work days, right. If you work 12 months a year, you don't get 12, 20 personal days at your job.
1: And the team never Made a peep about it, did they? No, never no, once because- said, "Hey, this is getting out of control." I think he took a week off for his birthday this year.
4: Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and 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 you know, and then you had Steve Nash, who gave it a hundred percent every night he played, and as worked the coach. his his tail off as a player, and he's just and- got to
1: sit there and eat it.
4: Yeah, well, he knew that's how he got. This is the, the deal, job. So, right? So he's not going to say, "I've had enough of these guys calling him sick <laughs> every day." <I laughs> he know. Just sh- shut your mouth, make the substitutions, sit on the sideline, collect your ring, yeah. and get out.
1: They're going to be focused for a month to try to win a championship, and after that, it's everyone off their separate ways for the summer. Uh, Medina Spirit second test positive, so stripped of the Kentucky Derby win. Uh, apparently, this is now what the fourth year in a row, or third year in a row, they've had a Derby winner stripped. Uh,
4: is it that many? I, I really haven't kept track. I think the bigger story for me is, is Bob Baffert banned. Um, you know, he's he's usually had about three or four horses in every Triple Crown race, and now can't be a part of anything at Churchill Downs anymore. Weird.
1: Hey, I was going to say, what avenues does he have to appeal to make a comeback?
4: I don't know. I don't okay. know. And and nobody associated with him is allowed at the track. I mean, uh,
1: how does, does horse racing have a legitimacy problem at this point?
4: Um, no, I don't think so. I think what it is, is, is three weeks in the spring. Where people pay attention, right. and the rest of it is, you know, the real background horse noise. Geeks. Yeah. yeah, and, and then
1: the geeks, the hardos, exactly.
4: Yeah, yeah, it, it's just just pops up for three Saturdays. It's great for people like me who like to go to bed early because it's only two minutes and it's <laughs> over with, yeah. and, uh, and I like to watch it.
3: Yeah.
1: Happy anniversary! Twenty-one years ago, on June second, two thousand, the Washington Redskins gave Dion Sanders a seven-year, $55 million deal, including an $8 million bonus, which doesn't sound much by today's standards, but it was a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. He gave him one year and then retired a year later.
4: Yep, yep, I remember that. And I remember the news conference where he showed up in the burgundy suit. Remember that? Yes. And, uh, and it was a big, big show, and, uh, yeah, he was he was bringing a lot of excitement, and I got to give you credit. You kept saying, "Past his prime." I oh no, it's Dion, it's Dion. You know? so he, he came in and and he, he wasn't a terrible corner. He didn't have a bad year.
1: No, but he wasn't corner. his legendary. I, I mean, Dion in, in his prime was the best, still is to me, the best corner that ever played the game.
4: Period. Yeah, oh yeah, he, no no question about it. And he also was a punt returner until. The ball started bouncing off his the face, face mask,
1: mask. exactly.
4: <laughs> and and then he had a game where uh, in overtime he did finally return a punt, but he didn't take it all the way, and it set up a field goal to win the game. And he went into his whole Dion sh- sh- spiel after the game. Oh, and, she know, was
1: a big one, wasn't she? It's like yeah, he got tackled at the six. What are you talking yeah, about?
4: Yeah. Then he said, and then he said, Fall for the roll, four for the roll. <laughs> What are, you, what are you talking about? He said, if I take four back to the house, all my blockers get Rolex watches. Well, start with one, Dion. You haven't had one yet. And you're talking about four. You know?
1: Less than a year later, uh, Marty was in, and the standoff began, and next thing you know, he retired, went to well, go play so, baseball.
4: As soon as Marty was hired, he said, I don't trust him as far as I can throw them."
1: <laughs>
0: Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously.
2: <laughs> and, and and
4: then he tried to revive his baseball career. I don't know whether he made it back to the majors or not. But with the uh, Reds, I think. Yeah, he he wasn't going to do that, and he but sat then, out for three years.
1: But then he came back and had a good season as a safety yeah. for the Ravens.
4: He was he was a great athlete, sick a, athlete, a, a, yeah. an incredible athlete. But also during that year, that year of two thousand, where he was one of the big players, where they went for it with you know Jeff George and uh, Bruce Smith and and guys like that. Uh, Vinny Serato kept saying, oh, it'll be fine as long as Dion doesn't retire.
1: Yeah, well, he retired. He retired, Uh, This one from our friend Neil in Rockville. He says, Zabe, take a look at this tweet. Dr. Barbara Roberts discusses her role as the team director of wellness and (laughs) clinical services. Neil writes, you know, we're getting definitely closer to an official position with the Washington football team of... Director of Pants and Picnics, the term you derisively hung around Bruce Allen's neck and one that you would be perfect for. Yes, hopefully we can get a director of pants and picnics. I'd I'd run the shit out of that position.
4: Yeah, well, uh, as a matter of fact, there is somebody who is in charge. I don't think he has exactly that title, but uh, we once did a, an interview with him out at uh, Ashburn, and he was quite good. He was a uh, running back for couple of years with the team, then sat out for like three years and wound up in New Orleans, Tim Hightower. Yeah.
1: That?
4: Yeah, so he is he is director of alumni whatever. relations,
1: the, right, yeah, which is effectively pants and picnics, but they don't let him pick the pants anymore.
4: Yeah, well, the, the whole pants thing was, and, and this is, I think, how out of touch Bruce Allen was, he was bringing back the glory days of his dad, which which you know, a few people like me remember, but also his dad won exactly two playoff games. He he went to a Super Bowl, but and they were fun days, but they didn't win that much in the postseason. Uh the other guy who came along later, yeah, that's the guy who who went to I guess, you know, Burgundy pants or white pants, whatever. Joe Gibbs. That's yeah. the guy.
1: Yeah. For those that don't know, the Redskins used to wear gold or yellow pants, mustard colored pants. And they went away with Gibbs, but Bruce Allen brought them back. And I I think there's no better combo than the ketchup over mustard combination. But I was alone in that sentiment. Many people did not like the yellow pants. I did.
4: Oh, I, I liked them, and I liked to see them back. The problem was they were terrible in those pants. They didn't win.
1: The, and, Andy, the pants had nothing to do with it.
4: Okay. I understand. <laughs> but but when, when you have a winning combination.
1: You, you don't know, mess with it.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, so, for, for you know, for all those years, Gibbs wore the white jerseys at home. Only the Cowboys and maybe one or two other teams were doing that. And they won. Yeah. So it, it was a good look.
1: More importantly, our buddy Tom Lavero had a good column in the Washington Times that pretty much laid out how the clock is ticking on Snyder to get a new stadium in the next six years, which sounds like a lot of time, but it's not. It's right here in his face because he owes the money back to the NFL that floated him this money to buy out his partners under sort of the unwritten or unspoken premise of, you're going to get a stadium, right? And he doesn't seem to be any closer to it. And Lavero blew up that whole TMZ intercept of him walking around the outside of the stadium in LA as very fishy.
4: Yeah, it, it it is fishy, and and here's kicking this around today. Um, why TMZ, if if in fact they were told that you know this this availability was going to be made for for Snyder, right. Rather than ESPN or one of the major networks,
1: or NFL Network, but, or who knows yeah. any other legitimate sports outlet.
4: Exactly. And the reason I think is because the way TMZ does it, it's some guy with a, a cell phone taking video and just asking a couple of inane questions. They don't want somebody out there saying, well, Dan, you know, we're hearing that there's some issues with Virginia, that that might happen, that the district doesn't want you. They didn't want anything pressing on this. They just right. Wanted, they wanted, wanted something the whole, simple
1: and easy. Yeah.
4: The old the old celebrity, you know, shout out there or the old uh you know, run by that you get on T M Z so when those guys sit around the newsroom and they show you the quick clips, that's all you get. Nobody goes in depth on it and and I, I'm I'm not even sure Snyder knows what TMZ is. I think Jason Wright, being less than
1: forty years old, <laughs> had to tell him. Come on, yeah. Snyder knows who TMZ is.
4: Uh, I don't know. He He's said, you know, know he, he said, here's here's the idea, Mister Snyder or Dan, whatever he calls him. He <laughs> said, uh, we're, we're going to tell the guys from TMZ that we happen to be touring the uh, Ram Stadium, and they'll right. just happen to be out there.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. Last thing, and then we'll uh, I'll let you go. Uh, it's it's Jack Week and I miss doing this with you on the radio, but it's Memorial Week for the mm-hmm. PGA Tour, yeah. and Jack Nicklaus, the great golden bear, is presiding over a golf course that has been thoroughly redesigned, Andy. Greens mm. moved, T's taken to a different location, and he is talking about it left and right. <laughs> Can I get a little Andy Poland doing <laughs> Jack Nicklaus? Please.
4: Well- we wanted to get a few more uh, sand shots here, so we moved this, uh, this bunker over here. Yeah, he loves to redesign. He did, uh, I don't know if you watch these, they, they pop up like when there's uh, gaps in Nats games and stuff. Graham Bensinger, you know this yes, guy is? Yes, yeah. Yeah.
1: He, He's the Roy Firestone of this generation.
4: Yeah, but not quite as unctuous as Roy, and uh, he goes to you. You know, you used to come to Roy in the studio. And what Bensinger does is he shows up at your house or wherever you want. So Jack took him around as he, you know, went to all of his golf courses. And they went in the private plane and everything, you know. It was, it was a really cool episode. I got to check and, that out
1: then. I did not know that.
4: Yeah. And, and Jack, you know, just loves showing off what he, what he does, you know. <laughs> and, you know the Atlanta greens over here.
1: <laughs> as a golf nerd, Andy, it's been so funny to watch. Here's a little uh, – Here's a little been major
4: changes on one, move the green back about 30 yards. Uh, number three, move the tee down the hill, change the green totally. Four is a new green. A, it used to be a smaller green on the golf course. Now it's the largest. Yeah, Five, like, I moved the you, green back 30 yards into the left, change the oh. hole, change the lake, change the tee shot. Yeah, change the lake. I hated the lake. The lake sucked. It's like, it's like being gone. <laughs> Right, You know, you create heaven and earth and he can create a golf
1: course. It it is on the one hand, Andy, such a waste of money. I mean, I played, I was lucky enough to play that course many years ago. It's perfection. It's awesome. It's great. You didn't need to change a goddamn thing on it. But Nicholas being a tinkerer and because he's got the money, because he's 82 years old and because the members at that joint, they got the money. They're Mm -hmm. like, fuck it. Let's go change a lot of shit. Why not?
4: Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I guess, you know, the big boom on golf courses is over, so he's probably not building that many from scratch anymore. Yeah,
1: shut up. I'm still in demand, baby. I'm big <laughs> in Turkey and Asia, <laughs> yeah. parts of South Africa. You all die design shit, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barber's not clipping coupons. I know that. <laughs> I understand that. All right, Andy. Mazel, mazel, yeah. good things. I'll see you next week back in D.C. Thank you, buddy.
4: Very good, Dave. Take care.
1: Let's follow up with some Naomi Osaka info. Greg Couch writing at Outkick under the headline Corporate Overlords Leave Osaka Out to Dry. Very fascinating piece in which he chronicles how, oh, her tone changed from the first day of her protest until the day she finally withdrew. It's apparent, writes Couch. That Osaka's support team and the PR people from the corporate entities that pay her $50 million a year let her down. By the way, I didn't know she made that much money off the court, but she is super heavily promoted and, and marketed as a female athlete globally. She's the golden child when it comes to female athletes. She's $50 million. Holy shit. Couch says it looks like they stepped in on money to help her reshape her PR moment that had gone bad. They might have helped her create the mess in the first place too. It's impossible to know. On Monday as she bowed out, she said the tennis press has always been kind to me. However, five days earlier in starting her boycott, she said I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health and this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. So wait, asks Couch. The media have no regard for her mental health, and yet they've always been kind to her? She also said Monday while she was bowing out, I really want to work with the tour to find ways we can make things better for the players, the press, and the fans. That's a lot different than five days earlier when she said defiantly, if organizations think they can just keep saying, do press or you're going to be fined, then I just got to laugh. Oh, she walked it back, all right with the help of her corporate overlords. Couch goes on to point out for people with serious mental health issues, he was trivializing their problems to equate them with not wanting to talk to the media. Osaka's sister, Mari, wrote on social media that Osaka just didn't want to be around people asking her about her struggles on clay courts. It hurt her confidence, which is a mental health thing. But is it really, says Couch, is that really the same as a mental health struggle? Osaka's sister then went on to post, so many people are picky on this term thinking you need to have depression or have some sort of disorder to be able to use the term mental health. Well, that post was taken down. Another post put up in his place that simply said, I fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not mental health. I mean, mental health is is a judgment call still. But just not being confident or... Having to answer nagging questions about, can you finally break through to a championship? Why are you coming short uh, in your final rounds? I mean, golfers do this all the time. Hell, I've seen some of the most brutally tough and bare post-round pressers. I mean, Hunter Mahan brought to tears post-Ryder Cup after he chubbed a chip like a rank amateur on the 71st hole of the Ryder Cup to lose. Poor uh, Len Matisse crying, bawling his eyes out at the Masters after he blew it in a playoffs. Saying, this game is really cruel. I mean, it's tough, but it's raw. It humanizes people. It's part of the gig. Anyway, hope you, uh, hope you get yourself sorted out there, Naomi. Meanwhile, Couch said Nike, MasterCard, and the other endorsers are all coming out today announcing their support for Osaka. Of course they would. They'd already done their damage. Good point. John Ziegler, mediaite, on the Brooks Kepka affair and how sports media members are just playing the role of journalist. He writes, when Kepka was done, Lewis, acting like the director of a movie whose actor just flubbed his lines, that'd be Todd Lewis, assured the player that it would never air, but that the remarkable video would be enjoyed in private. The Golf Channel never aired the video, which was not only highly entertaining, but actually of real news value. But when it was leaked on Twitter two days later, it went legit viral before finally being taken down, writes Ziegler, with all the mainstream golf media pretending in Orwellian fashion that the entire episode never happened. The situation showed that Lewis and Kepka are on the same team, and both of them know it. Only being allowed to play the role of, quote, reporter, Is the price Todd Lewis must pay for consistent access to top players who are not technically required to speak after their rounds, though the PGA Tour just created a peculiar $40 million prize fund to reward the most popular players based partly on media mentions, Google searches, etc., etc., thus incentivizing interviews with the media and, if I may add, incentivizing viral blow-up videos. Having once been part of it, says Ziegler, and yes, he used to be a television sports reporter, I always knew that the golf media is the biggest joke in what is little in what little is left of journalism in general, but watching this episode play out online f- was still rather illuminating. It was very clear that the average person had absolutely no problem with how Lewis had handled the situation, which explains why there is unequivocally no downside for, quote, reporters to openly kiss the ass of their stars so they don't risk losing their precious jobs. There simply is no incentive to do what was once considered basic journalism. It dawned on me reading this, huh, I wonder if DeChambeau is now pissed at Todd Lewis. Because by laughing, it's kind of like he's taking Brooks Kepka's side. Like, yeah, yeah, that tool to shambo. <laughs> okay, take two. You ready, Brooks? Here we go. Hey, man. What's the matter? You didn't, didn't like what I said over there? I don't know if there's going to be a beef on that or not. But anyway, I like Todd Lewis. I think he's good. But that's the role they play. Twitter to start labeling tweets based on how wrong the algorithm thinks they are. Jane Wong, who is a blogger who reverse-engineers popular apps to uncover features still in development, shared a screenshot of her efforts experimenting with Twitter's new system. For example, she tweeted, quote, snorted 60 grams of dihydrogen monoxide, and I'm not feeling so well now, which triggered a get-the-latest label with information about water. When she tweeted, in, two, uh, in 12 hours, darkness will ascend in parts of the world. Stay tuned. A stay informed label popped up, prompting users to learn more about the concept of time zones. And when she tweeted, quote, we eat, we eat, turtles eat, therefore we are turtles, Twitter slapped a, quote, misleading label on her post, noting that it's a logical fallacy. Holy shit. This is some freaky, scary, stupid, big brother-like stuff. (laughs) This is not humans seeking this out, going, oh, let me slap a label on this. This is the algorithm figuring this stuff out, or coming close to figuring this stuff out. Because I believe dihydrogen monoxide is water. So you don't want to snort 60 grams of it. So it got me to thinking, what would the algorithm say about things like Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback? <laughs> Get more information here. Tiger Woods was gorked out on pain pills when he crashed his car. Misleading. Fuqua definitely touched the ball. The 1985 NBA lottery was rigged. Deflategate was an NFL-led witch hunt. What will Twitter say about those? Check your local algorithm to see what See how truthful they believe your tweet is. And that finally brings us to Fauci. Fauci, Fauci, Fauci. He's not having a good week. A Freedom of Information Act request from the Washington Post, which was jumped on by BuzzFeed, which, as somebody pointed out, is normally the outlet that says, Ariana Grande's shoulder tattoos are missing, and her fans can't stand themselves. That kind of story, they jumped on this. Also, another journalist, I think, jumped into the Freedom of Information Act request. Well, what happened was, and worth noting, that the uh, free the FOIA that the Post got, they chose not to share the emails that they acquired with the public. Instead, they wrote this glowing profile of Fauci, almost as if they are a state press agency saying, oh boy, the guy... So many people were coming at him from all angles. These emails show just how hard he worked and and how tough it was to sort through all the noise of the early pandemic. Guess what BuzzFeed did? They printed the emails, boom, some 3,000 plus pages of them. And what do they show? Well, it depends on what you think of Fauci. Probably depends on how you vote typically. A lot of people think it's a big nothing burger. I don't think it's a nothing burger. I think there's a lot in there that says exactly what many of us thought all along. They show every piece of flip-flopping bullshit advice about the pandemic that Fauci knew was wrong, but he pushed anyway for hashtag reasons. He knew about aerosol transmission. He knew there would likely be lasting immunity post-infection for those who got it and recovered. He advised Obama staffers not to worry about masks. They mostly don't work. He was asked about, hey, maybe society-wide lockdowns are bad, Dr. Fauci. Maybe we should target the elderly. And he was like, "Uh, here, somebody handle this email. He personally responded to somebody who said, hey, Dr. Fauci, congratulations. Your bobblehead has made it to the National Bobblehead Museum. He actually responded to that email with two lines of, thank you very much, I hope we can get together once this is over and resume our normal lives. A fairly innocent response, but what's he doing responding to emails about his fucking bobblehead? Oh yeah, he did Google searches for his own name to keep an eye on what the media was saying about him. More dramatically and more importantly, he grossly mistook CFR for IFR and told the Wall Street Journal health editor the fatality rate, was 2% versus 1.1% for seasonal flu. He couldn't have been more wrong. That was not the IFR. That was the noted CFR, the actual uh, confirmed case fatality rate, not the infected fatality rate where I was missing about 20 to 30 to maybe 40% of infections. Not to mention the fact that deaths were grossly overstated. He just calmly and flatly emailed the Wall Street Journal health editor and said uh, the fatality, ra- fatality rate is 2% and flu is 0.1%. He was aware that four very credentialed scientists had said, eh, something very fishy about this virus. We've looked at the genetic sequencing of it. I mean, four real, legit stud scientists all in a letter said, yeah. This a little weird. Fauci replied to the scientists with a link to an article saying, hey, not sure if you saw this. It might be of interest. Guess what they wrote back? This is classic. They replied, yeah, we were quoted in that story. <laughs> Which led to a very ominous, almost Dr. Evil email from Fauci with very vague instructions to his assistant, Hugh Auchincloss. That sounds Dr. Evilish. Hugh, Hugh, I need you to do something for me. Hugh Ochenkos. He wrote, at 1243 in the morning, it is essential that we talk this a.m. Keep your cell phone on. Read this paper as well as the email I will forward to you. You will have tasks today that must be done. Man, you can't write that better if you're a Hollywood scriptwriter, can you? Of course, the left and the media will defend him to the last bullet. This from CNN. Thousands of emails from and to Dr. Fauci reveal the weight that came with his role as a rare source of frank honesty within the Trump administration's COVID 19 task force. Wow. Scott Adams tweeted According to CNN, the Fauci emails prove he worked hard often to exhaustion, but he was still polite to everyone. I think that covers it. Any questions? Dan Wolt says, just thinking out loud here, but maybe having an imperious octogenarian who seems to bristle at any suggestion of oversight, heading up a $6 billion scientific research bureaucracy, which he's run for 40 years, is not the greatest example of good governance. No shit. Jack Pobasek. I think I'm saying that right? Who's pretty well connected to uh, stuff in administrations in politics? Tweeted White House staff are actively discussing an exit strategy from Dr. Fauci following the release of his emails yesterday. Per White House official, no shock there. I mean, look how bad Fauci was thrown off the bus about the masking post vaccination. It was literally 24 hours later. They're like, nope, this thing's over, done. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess if you are vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. When he was saying the exact opposite all along. And by the way, do you know whose fault this is that this one man, this one lying ass slimy bureaucrat, and that's what Fauci is. He's just, he's very skilled, by the way. I i don't think there's going to be any great reckoning for him. Those getting all lathered up like, oh, they're going to, they're coming for him. Oh, boy. Now, this guy's too slick. This guy has survived in the swamp for 40 years through all these administrations. He knows how the system works, and he knows how to work the system. And there's lots of people like this in Washington. You have to be a child of Washington, like me. Grew up the son of a government worker who who knows countless people in and around different parts of how our national government in Washington, D.C. actually works. You got to know this. They're not going to lay a glove on him when it's all said and done. Plus, he's got too many defenders. The media is running too much interference for him. But anyway, you know whose fault this is? Trump. Yes, you heard me right. Trump. That idiot blessed Fauci, anointed him, pushed him out in front of the media because Trump's lazy, he's intellectually disinterested, and he's absorbed with himself. And guess what? It cost him the White House. His signature phrase is what? You fired. He left that in his holster for the one time he should have, early in this whole pandemic, said it to Fauci. He was afraid of the blowback. Many people, not many, some people were loudly saying, you got to cut this guy loose. This guy is going to kill your chances for reelection. He didn't do it. He was afraid of the blowback. And it would have been fierce. Oh, I mean, no doubt the media would have said, oh, my God. Now, here's the thing. See, some of you think because I'm conservative that I won't ever rip one of but my own, like Trump. Huh, hardly true. Remember, I vote primarily against people and parties and things. I vote against more dangerous candidates and ideologies I do not believe in. I vote against most often. And I often vote just for the lesser set of idiots not really feeling any great affinity for them, just, okay, these monkeys will do less damage to society than those other monkeys. And by the way, why is a sports guy talking about all this? Because, well, lives were ruined, childhood moments were stolen forever, civil liberties were trampled on, a totalitarian state was imposed on Western society that I could have never imagined. That's why I'm talking about it. It affected me, my industry, people I know and work with. And guess what? If not me talking about it, then who? You disagree? Fine. You don't want to hear it here? Click stop. But this isn't me delving into the Paris Climate Accords or uh, talking about should we eliminate the earned income tax credit. I don't do that level of political shit here. This is huge, people. Wake up. This is the biggest thing that's happened in our lifetime. And by thing, it is a multi-tentacled thing that involves government ineptitude, the polarization of society, media, not just incompetence, but media evil to be so blatantly one-sided, big tech censorship. And yes, the sort of trial run of Chinese-style dictatorship-like things. You know, civil liberties. There are people that say not a single liberty was taken away during the pandemic. What are you talking about? (laughs) People actually say that. Or maybe it's bots on Twitter. I don't know. And I just shake my head saying, if you're a real person who thinks not one freedom was taken away, you are fucking crazy. And you simply don't understand freedom. So wake up, people. That's all I'm saying. Good morning. Britain had a piece saying... Asking the question, time to ditch unvaccinated friends? (laughs) How about you ditch people who want to ditch unvaccinated friends? If you've got the vaccine, you're good. Let your unvaccinated friend who's like YOLO roll the dice on his own life. Really? You're not vaccinated. We, We can't be friends. Okay. All right, let's end on something fun. Danish journalist goes the extra mile and gets on her back for a scoop. Louise Fisher of Radio 4 in Denmark wanted to do a story on a swingers club in Copenhagen. Well, who wouldn't want to crack that one wide open? So she went all the way and had sex with one of the swingers, and they actually aired it on the radio. Are, are the kids out of the room right now? Okay, let's take a listen.
2: Okay. Yeah. What do you do? It's different.
1: Det different too.
3: It's just up to you. Yeah. What I want to do. What you have thought I could try. Here we go. What do det, to be back in
1: the asking about the swingers. It's
3: something I've been many
1: Sounds like a Star Wars episode, by the
3: way. Damn it, Kevin! Side six.
1: Wait a minute! What's that noise I'm hearing right there?
3: I'm just gonna get a little free. Are you seeing
1: all of Oh my God! <laughs> That's quite the expose right there. Apparently, Ms. Fisher, 26 years old, didn't have a boyfriend, so that's fine. And it was a swingers club. And hey, whatever it takes for journalism. The sad thing is, is in this country, our journalists, our quote-unquote journalists, oh, they're, they're doing that same thing. They're getting the whap, 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 set their face down. And they're getting it from those in charge and being told, yes, this is what you're going to write, this is what you're going to say. It's a different kind of sexual interaction. All right, that's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Have yourself a great Thursday tomorrow. Notorious, J-A-Y, four subscribers only. Spread the word, spread the love, rate and review. for the So the algorithms, because we're all slaves to the algorithm. Thank you, Grace Slick. Grace Slick, Grace Jones. Uh, we're all slaves to the algorithm. Thanks for listening. Have a great Thursday, and we will see you next time.
0: At Vanguard, this is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and Vanguard is here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.
2: Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection?